Miller. Welcome to Tiger Turf Talk. We're excited to be partnering with the Toro Company to kick off an all-new summer series focused on their upcoming Grounds Leadership Academy happening in June. Over the next 10 weeks, we will be releasing podcasts following Drew's road trip to Minneapolis and back, where he will be meeting with grounds professionals across the country. Please join us as we talk about their careers, the properties they manage, and their favorite Toro equipment. This episode of Tiger Turf Talk is brought to you by The Toro Company. For over 100 years, The Toro Company has been a leader in innovative solutions for turf maintenance. Through a strong network of professional distributors, Toro proudly offers a wide range of commercial-grade equipment. Visit Toro.com to explore their full lineup of products. Welcome back to the Toro Grounds Leadership Podcast Tour. We are here at the Allianz Field in Minneapolis, Minnesota, with the sports turf manager, Mr. Ryan Moy. How are you doing this morning? Hey, good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for letting us come in. It's truly an incredible facility. So much going on. Um, and it really, obviously, MLS has been an up-and-coming thing. What has it been like sort of coming into, again, Allianz and taking hold of what, again, Minnesota United really is? Uh, it, it's been great. Um like a lot of things in life, um, and we might get into this later, but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, came from the golf course side and, um, spent over a decade there. And, um, you know, when you, when you start something new, there's always some challenges, you know, that come up that always, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this could be said for the, you know, the rest of life, but there's new challenges and, um, they're intellectually stimulating, but you, you, you're not sure if you have the tools and box to for solve sure. those problems and so you know for sure um from an agronomic standpoint managing sun loving plants and four walls and a roof um the roof's fun yeah <laughs> you know very very interesting and um and just the uh the process of building out the toolbox with respect to this new environment has been exciting but also very challenging I love how you say toolbox because there, that really is just, there's so much more to it than just, you know, the equipment you have, you know, um, when it comes to that toolbox, what have you sort of seen become sort of such critical to sort of the management of, again, Allianz field and everything that's going on, uh, when it comes to, I mean, a roof, you don't, people don't understand in MLS, you guys all have roofs usually, and it's just a whole nother level of, chaos, microclimates, all these different things. What would you say has been sort of, you know, critical in your toolbox to be successful like you have been? Yeah. Um, I want to try to be efficient in answering this question. No, no it, need it, to be. Yeah, we got time. It, it, um, <laughs> it, it, it is a, a, a very much a, um, a question that is very broad, mm -hmm. you know, because I feel like, you know, if I – if I answer that off the cuff, it almost feels as if I have to put a filter on it a little bit because, you know, something that you can say that might say um, to answer the question um, is really at the end of the day very specific to your location. Right? For sure. And so if you say something, I'll send your pin to painting, <laughs> painting the indus industry and, and, and these uh, stadium venues um, with a broad brush. And that's For sure. that definitely uh, something that I want to stay clear of, but, um, you know, some of the, the big, you know, the big hitters, the low hanging fruit, I, I typically say from a tool standpoint, well, one, one, you need, you need the baseline, right? You need, um, you know, in our case, um, we have, you know, 
more equipment, which For has sure. been um, super beneficial. And that's, you know, that's just baseline. Yeah. And then, and then you're, you're still yet adding more, more Toro tools to your toolbox. Um, but then some that really um, relate to growing grass inside four walls and a roof, are, you know, artificial grow lights, right? For sure. Um, whether or not you um, want to stick that, that hybrid technology, whether it's stitching or a carpet-based system into your toolbox, um, we, we have. And uh, without we can get deep into it if you want. Um, yeah, for but sure. But with respect to an ROI, um, the, the, the hybrid surface um, was a game-changer. Now, that doesn't take into account sites that host a lot of outside events, Absolutely. concerts, you name it. But strictly from a plain surface that's that's performing at a very, very high level and is consistent throughout uh, the beginning of the year to the end of the year, that the hybrid system is what has been the most profound tool. And that's that's hard to do when it comes to you know it's it's very well known like we said earlier in the Premier League and in England and all those pitches for again FIFA and it's I think it's coming towards again what the World Cup's happening and all that. What was sort of the decision making process for you to put that system in? Because again, like you don't see it often. And I could be wrong. You could you can correct me here, but you don't see it that often throughout the United States. But it's definitely something that I think is coming um, when it comes to you're looking at the World Cup and you get five sites that have no uh, they have no roof that opens up. So you're going completely inside in a controlled environment with no light. There's got to be some sort of hybrid pitch in there to make sure that throughout what is it like three months or something that the World Cup's happening. But like again. What was sort of that decision? I'm babbling. I apologize. <laughs> what was that decision-making process? And again, like you said, it's paying tenfold to have that, you know, here on the field. Yeah. Um, the, the short version is um, really process of elimination. Um, you can apply that to many, many things. But, mm -hmm. you know, in this case, you're, you know, you're filling up your toolbox. You're, you're applying some metrics to the performance of the surface and face the pitch over a certain amount of time. And you're, you still find yourself uh, saying, you know, this can be better or should be better. And so as you start to add these tools, which are still useful, right? You, uh, 100%. The, the, the worst scenario, you know, our, our, our finance department would, you know, scoff at the idea of adding tools and then, you know, figuring out you can't use them corner somewhere, but um, just put a little box around it. Right. Right. <laughs> But so you start adding tools to your toolbox um, sure. and you're getting incremental improvements, but you still haven't hit the mark that you know that you should. Mm -hmm. um, and so you just, you're sort of repeating that exercise, um, being, you know, cost conscious as well. Absolutely. Um, but there, there are some, you know, fixed costs out there with respect to adding tools to your toolbox. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you might end up, you might distill like three or four different major investments um, into tools, and we can talk about those. Um, yeah. But we can, uh, but in, into these tools, and and so then you you do you run the numbers on some of these tools, and and uh, and in this case, it, you you get to this hybrid surface, right? Yeah. And again, I want to repeat, you know, we're at this point in time, we're not 
we're not doing a lot of outside events on the surface. Um, so we're still, um, you know, we committed to the hybrid surface, but there's still this learning curve with respect to hosting concerts and outside events on the surface. So I may say this was the most profound tool in the toolbox at this point. For sure. Um, that definitely could change if we start programming it out. Right? Don't everybody who has concerts just jump at this just yet. Right, but right. if you want to be the pioneer, I mean, what's so great, and again, you bring the golf side of things. Like whenever I talk to prof- uh, sports field professionals who are on the golf side, it's all about finding what's next and what that next big investment is going to be that's going to be a game changer for you and your staff. Um something that I love is just you're all they're all you and again I will bring up Travis but always testing things always doing something different always trying to prepare for the next thing I mean it's 90 degrees outside right now which isn't probably normal for Minnesota at this time of year am I wrong no it's not okay so like understanding like things aren't always the same and we have to be prepared for those things concerts might be coming in you're obviously preparing with the hybrid pitch understanding what's going to be the best way to sort of combat the challenges that come with that what are some of the things that you focus on when it comes to making those decisions making those larger investments and really just having the best opportunity to grow your grass the way that you know and love um that it's a it's a that's a it's a tough one for me because I've I just I got all this information. I love it. Bring it um, on. But could but could, could you maybe n- like yeah? So narrow it down a little. When bit? It, let's start with the investments. Yeah. Like yeah. what what is your process to find the best investment for your sort of program and what you're doing? Um, it, it it's just it, it's a ton of research and networking and talking to colleagues. I mean, I um, you know, being I think there's. Man, I, I could get myself into a corner here. I think there's three, maybe four clubs in the MLS that have hybrid. Okay. System. So not a lot, right? Okay. Yeah. And for you sure. mentioned that earlier in the yeah. conversation. Um, but I am fielding a lot of questions from uh, my MLS colleagues to try to understand this. And I did the same thing. Um, I didn't. I, I tried to reach out as, to as many MLS colleagues as I could, but but I reached out to um, the guys overseas. You know, absolutely, the over ones there. that have just loved and yeah. perfected it. Understanding really. the nuances between yeah. um, their business model and our business model, their mm-hmm. season and our season, their concert season, our concert season slash MLS season. Yeah, right? for sure. So it, it's all it's all nuanced, and I have. Um, a colleague in Green Bay uh, who has hybrid, and he was a major help to me in gathering all this information. And then the next step is really just looking at the numbers. You, know, you have all these reference points from, I say tools, but equipment, right? Yeah. You have all these reference points, and then so where where does where does this investment fall yeah. into the category of investment? And and at that point, you're you you don't you don't know what the ROI is necessarily. But you have you're probably ninety percent there, knowing with respect to is it going to give you X return? Mm-hmm. You know, you're ninety percent there, so there's Absolutely. maybe a ten percent risk assessment there that you have Which to do. Usually, is pretty good in business, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, and, and it, but I think my hat goes off to you know our industry, the people that um, make themselves available to share information, um, especially now, um, is that's really what narrows. Takes that ten percent mm-hmm. down to maybe you know single digits. So. 
And that's, that's awesome. Because again, we talked about it, like just people in this industry want everyone to be successful. There's no competition in the way of, you know, like winning a championship or something. It's always about how to make all of us better. And I know you do a lot for that. Uh, talking with Boyd and everybody at Toro, um, the work that you do is incredible. And something that I am curious about, and we sort of talked about it is your tenure in golf and the time that you spent, you know, at Hazeltine and all those places, what would you say have been some of the big aspects of your time in golf that you've brought over to Allianz and created this again, incredible pitch that again, people see on national television all the time playing MLS games and all that. What has been sort of the, the main focuses that you brought from the golf side to the sports field side? Yeah, I think, um, I think an easy one to, to pull out, of my experience there was I, I happened to work at a club that was hosting major championships. Um, uh, we host the Ryder Cup in 2016. So just that exposure to, to, to I'll say, high-level conditions or professional-level expectations. And, and by the way, I don't I, – there's so much more to me than, than, than just – professional golf absolutely right? yes and, yeah and and when i say me just like i feel like you know talking on behalf of like my industry colleagues like mm-hmm. we're all the same you For know sure. but but the exposure to that yeah. and understanding sort of this kind of oxymoronic but this quantifiable metric if you will like you know what the expectation is and carrying that expectation over to this environment um and I think really that's that's how we got to hybrid. Really, mm-hmm. is you know, hadn't I had that exposure, I I couldn't have may have found myself in a situation where I was like, oh, this this surface is fine, this, sur-, but it wasn't. Yeah, you know, and I think that that's what paid absolutely. And again, with everything that you have going on, there's just so many different aspects of when it comes to managing a field, there's also the aspect of managing people and understanding that your crew is sort of an extension of all the work that you're trying to accomplish. What has been sort of your goal here um, at the club, just developing where it is today, you know, in the past five years, six years, five years, five years in the past five years to get where you're at today. Again, incredible setup. Everything that I've seen has been absolutely beautiful, you know, um, to hosting, I mean, the MLS season is so long. I realized that a couple of years ago when I started talking to MLS groundskeepers. I was like, I didn't realize that it ran this long. What has it been like, again, developing that crew and how um, your leadership has played a role in that? Yeah, um, and I, I will undoubtedly get into more of this and oh, yes. like this this week. You know, we were over oh, sure. <laughs> With Just res- a couple panels, yeah, you know. With respect to the, the leadership academy. The word leadership yep. might get old by the end of the week, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but just kind of a, you know, uh, a sh- definitely a short version of of my approach. And maybe it's it's better off if I or more efficient if I talk about just my general sentiment going into building out a team. And absolutely, um, I that was my next question. Yeah, so perfect. And, and again, <laughs> I, I ha- you know, I. Uh, by default, I have to reference my previous experience, right? Yeah. And that was, you know, if you, if you have a fixed amount of uh, intellectual capacity, motivation, you know, fill in the adjectives there with yeah. respect to building out your team and working with the team and, um, you know, you hire your team and then you, ha- you know, there's an evolution to it all. 
Um, and that, that, that fixed amount is spread over a large amount of people. And I don't think I have to go any further than that, but there's just, there's less of you to go around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, I mean, I, I knew that right away going into this. My team is going to be small. Yep. Um, and we are more of a precision approach to, um, to e- executing um, whatever whatever we had um, as far as our responsibility goes. So um, when you carry that over, you know, I let, let's talk real numbers here. One for managing, you know, on the higher end during the summer was, you know, between thirty, Same. maybe sometimes. 35, 40 people um, from seniors to have been retired all the way down to kids who don't have their driver's license. <laughs> um, so an eclectic Those set my of kids. <laughs> you know, age groups. But, um, and then coming here and, and essentially working with three you know, full-time assistants. Um, we just hired another one. And, and looking at that evolution and, and sort of mapping that out, with more precision has, has been my general sentiment and my approach. Um, and I, I do think that it, it's worked out quite well. Um, and that's just a product of my experiences. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then there's a whole like many hour long conversation about like, you know, getting into it and how do you, um, how do you tease out some of these like strategies? And how do you, um, you know, we could talk about inter. You can yeah. talk about goal goal mapping, right? All these different things, but and I'll, I'll just kind of leave it at that. But that's just my general. Story. I might go back into it a little yeah, bit, yeah, but I mean, there are so many things that people don't understand about when it comes to communication, goal mapping, all those things that you're mentioning. What are some of the things that you have found so critical to being successful here when it comes to uh, not growing your staff, but understanding that you know your trust in the staff is vital to again the the goal of having the best crew and field possible. What are some of those things that, in those uh, tools that you use for specifically? Maybe it's professional development, or maybe it's just building like again a family within that uh, workspace. What has it been like for you? I'm pretty hard nosed on this one. It's two words. I love it. Intellectual stimulation. Yes. That's it. We can we can end it right here. So perfect. But, <laughs> um, no, and that's that that's that's really what has been. It, people ask, "What's the key?" You know, I don't think there is one. Intellectual stimulation is at at the top, one hundred percent at the top. You know, I've I've asked. I tend to gravitate towards talking to older people in general in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but I, you know I've had conversations both above from an age standpoint, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And and so much of it, you know, the failures and successes within someone's career, not even not even uh, right? Yeah. But it it's it has so much to do with intellectual stimulation. Um, I, I don't want to discount compensation, right? No, no, because no, no, yeah. I think everyone would say that's listening to this, that we could use plays a role. Yeah. We could Absolutely. use some progress or evolution in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when, when I think about the conversations I've had from people, mentors about successes and failures in their career, it had it didn't have the conversation didn't surround dollars and cents. Mm-hmm. It was 
intellectual stimulation. Right. And and then that the antithesis of that would be complacency. Yeah. Right. So that's that's the main driver in how I approach our operation. And honestly, when you talk about things like that, you're talking about sort of empowering your workers to understand what goes through your mind when it comes to making decisions and having them be a part of that process. Um, what have you seen in your guys and gals, if you have one, sorry, <laughs> um, that you've seen the growth and their sort of careers and where they've been and how they've come to this point where some of them might be ready to take on a full-time thing in the MLS or something else that, again, you've helped prepare them for. What has it been like sort of being that mentor and what has that meant to you? Mm-hmm. Um, you teed that one up for me. Not to say that's an easy one to hit, but... Um, I tried to. <laughs> um, I, it's funny how I don't, I don't perceive myself as a mentor to my employees which is a weird thing to actually verbalize right here on the spot. Um, I, I think of them as, as colleagues, as, as, as teammates. Yeah. And so I don't, whether that's right or wrong, I don't even know, but I'm just, I actually am verbalizing it for the first time. Like, um, I'm the same way with my students. Yeah. It's not, I don't see them as a mentor. They're kids that I'm trying to just help guide them down this path. Sorry to yeah. interrupt. Go ahead. I mean, for sure. Like, you know, that just, just by the way, business, communication is structured, you know, they'll come to me with questions and we'll we'll talk about them. But yeah, it's it's just so much more of this um, sort of team, like colleague, hey, um, whatever. Life is all about like identifying problems and then solving them, right? And and that's really the exercise we're doing all the time. And and the conversation is so much about a back and forth and this like colleague to colleague as opposed to you know, me giving them like some profound advice, you know, which I don't, I don't, I don't put myself in that category. <laughs> yeah, that short right? little video of you just giving a montage of incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's, I guess that's, that's. So what comes with that? And again, we're, we're in this, we're on these panels this week about leadership and everything that's going into the Toro Grounds Academy. That lends to sort of your leadership style. How would you define your leadership style when it comes to, again, ensuring the best product for your athletes, uh, accomplishing everything that your front office wants, while at the same time growing you and your staff throughout that whole process? What kind of leadership style are you sort of using in that sense? Obviously, having a, a good relationship is big, but there's a lot to it. And again, I totally understand what you mean by it doesn't really click in your head sort of like I'm not being a mentor right now it's more of I'm just trying to do the job with these individuals that again I see as peers so what would you say your leadership style is in a, in a sense if that's a, <laughs> I'm sorry if it's the wrong wording but um gosh the, it's, it's so cliche sounds so cliche but I don't so I was going to say progressive okay but I, I don't I actually don't think it it qualifies as being progressive. I don't know. I, 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 um, I'm not, I'm not looking, look, I'm not the guy who's looking for new ways to do things, Mm -hmm. but it's also, you know, that might be like a shortcoming of mine because if you're not looking for actively looking for new ways to do things, Mm -hmm. right. Then, then maybe you're falling behind a little bit. Um, but, I'm I'm really 
try to be very present and and sort of uh, like introspective about yeah. the whole thing. So if our it, not introspective to myself, but if, if we if we talk about situations, if we talk on. about the collective mm-hmm. um, staff as being one entity, trying to trying to be introspective with respect to that entity, and and you know you know trying to gauge and, and feel um, this, the the visceral sort of aspects of what what might not be going so well. Um, what are some problems that we we can't solve? Mm-hmm. Um, what are what things are are going really well? Um, and that that's just like a continuum. It's not like I I you know I set aside any specific time to do this. It's just this continuum, um, like mental track and 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 position that um, I, I've taken. And you know, there's some some other adjectives that I would throw into there as far as like my, my style. Yeah, you know, it, it's very. There's a lot of protectionism. Um, you know, very. Uh, I, I, I. If there's any tough conversations, yeah. um, with respect to managing up, I am the I'm the bad guy. Yeah, and I'm I'm okay with it because, in a sense, you, you know, you're protecting your own staff. Yeah. Um, which goes so far. Yep. It's not even funny how far that goes. So that's awesome. Um, I I like to think that I'm more of a you know strap on your boots and put on your work gloves. You know yeah, yeah. if if um, if if I have the time because I don't I don't you know not going to speculate on on my other colleagues, but that's like that's why we got into the business in the first place. You know, we didn't it, go for it, the office. It, it right? wasn't. It, it wasn't, wasn't to get to behind be the, the computer exactly. and, and create spreadsheets. So, yeah, 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 you know, sure. as often as I can, I really try to to really get out there. And, and I, I personally do some of my best thinking when I'm on a mower or you just hit the nail on the head like that. It's my happy place. Yeah. yeah. That's where it's where I get to think about how am I going to deal with the day? How am I dealing with kids in a certain way that again, makes their education better and understanding that, you know, sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes you're having a bad day. Sometimes I need to figure out how to fix my approach. Why is this kid having more struggles than others? And there's 200 of them. So it's kind of hard to keep up with them. But like, like you said, those are the things that you love and that's why we do it. So it's incredible. So you had mentioned something earlier on about, um, the idea of a full-time staff member getting to a point where they're ready to move on. And I, and I, this is comes from my uh, golf course background, but it's, it's, I, you're not wrong, you know, in, in, in posing the question like that. Um, but being an assistant for so long, really, um, I, I was motivated to sort of shift, shift the conversation a little bit about like, there's very much so when we get out of school, this like trajectory, this career path, right? Mm-hmm. You're climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder, and you might you might get to that second to top rung, right? And and then there is this sort of general sentiment that, um, you know, oh, what's next? You know, you should be moving on, mm-hmm. or you're definitely ready. Like, you should be moving on. Mm-hmm. I wanted to create an environment. In 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 this role, or I wanted to be able to influence the culture in which my employees worked in, mm-hmm. um, that had to do with 
creating a landing spot. If, in fact, someone wanted to stay. Obviously. Right? Um, If they want to move on, that definitely nurture that process. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, there's so much of, like, what are you doing next? What are you doing next? You know, but in in many other industries, um, there's it's okay to be at the at the at at the second rung, and I don't even like to describe it like that. But guess what? If you're happy, and oh, you're yeah. intellectually stimulated, and you feel like you're compensated well enough, then guess what? I want to work with you until until the wheels fall off. Yeah, <laughs> and that's and it's funny because like. <laughs> In my time, I mean, when I was in the MLB and NFL, it, it, I always wanted to be a head groundskeeper in the MLB just because I was a baseball guy. It was something I wanted to do. But during that time, like, I kept finding out. It's like there's so much pressure that you don't understand that they go through to ensure that those fields are ready. Like, you are ready for an MLS game any given time. Like, I want to be a part of the process. I want to be there. I want to be on the field. Uh I'm one not to really be behind a desk, even though I'm a teacher now, but like, it's, it's not, it's not wrong to want to stay at that second ring, you know, wrong, sorry, but it is. And again, I, to all those head groundskeepers and sports field managers out there, I give you guys so much, so much props because there's so much that you do that we don't understand or see like dealing with the front office, dealing with the other things. Obviously, your assistants make connections and whatnot and meet the people up there, but it's not a daily thing, you know, and it's not, you know, the need to be in contact with your ballpark ops or stadium ops or whatever it is to ensure that there's cohesiveness throughout the whole sort of system of, you know, Minnesota United. Something that I do want to touch base on is what has it been like working with your front office and sort of creating that cohesion among the entire club to ensure that you're getting the needs that you have to put out the best product? What has that sort of been like developing that over the past five years and making it to this point? Um, the, the, only, the only thing that I can bring to the table with respect to responding no, and you don't have to if you don't. No, but I, I do think it's worth mentioning. Yeah, is I was brought on to a club that was new mm-hmm. and that was developing themselves. So that that extensive growth, early growth phase, mm-hmm. um, we were we were all part of. Yeah, and I think that lends itself to really kind of pulling back the curtain and reducing those barriers when it comes to like front office and like ground specifically. Um, but I would say the, the business as a whole, uh, you know, for every single department within this organization um, went through this massive growth phase together mm-hmm. and we were all learning together. So that in the end, mm-hmm. it actually created a culture of equality. And that's awesome. Um, Cause that's hard to do. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about professional sports teams. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'd really like to hear from um, Tanner, uh, he, he's it, coming out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In yeah, Colorado, right? With Colorado. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's been to some different clubs and has so many great experiences. Started um, at Austin, I think, when they first started. So Real Salt Lake before that. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so he, I think he's going to be a great person uh, to, to hear from. And to compare my response in, you know, this sort of startup, mm-hmm. if you will, yeah, um, to an individual who's 
moved into clubs that have already been established and then how how does that uh have an effect on exactly yeah 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 let's take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor the toro company and their workman utx the workman utx is tough and dependable with the highest payload in its class rugged design powerful performance and unmatched versatility it gets the job done without compromise visit toro's website to learn more so i do want to sort of shift you know Allianz, you being here at the ground level, like you just said, what has been sort of what you've built into the system and the field itself? If you can give us sort of like a rundown of the facility on when it comes to the field and everything that you have here that you wanted to make sure that was there in order to have the best product and sort of the best start to, again, something that, again, is so beautiful and incredible. Um, the stadium is awesome, you know, being driving up and having sort of, I think it's one of the more open routes. I could be wrong um, in the MLS from what I've seen, but um, sort of what what was sort of your step process, and you have to go all into it, but like building from the ground up just to this point where you're at now. Yeah. Um, so to be clear, I was, um, uh, I think like a lot of individuals that are hired in uh, my role are hired on later in the construction phase. Um I know a few colleagues who were hired on it very early on because MLS is growing. And um, I think that there was some awareness of having the groundskeeper on in the from the initial stages of planning. But um, there's a, a individual uh, by the name of Trey Rogers who uh, was Michigan State hired on. Uh, great, great man. Um, on this project. Um, and he, he just did, did St. Louis too. I yeah, think. he did a, a fantastic yeah. job in educating uh, the decision makers, consulting. Um, so you, you hit all the basics, right? You, yeah. You know, you, you've got you've got a ten inch profile. Ideally, it's twelve. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've got a heating system because you're in the north northern climate. Although, gotta love the ninety I think, days. I think, I think some of my southern colleagues would also. They don't don't say that because I I'm trying to get a heating system, but <laughs> um, for the shoulder seasons. But yep. so you have you have all these bases. Yeah, the USGA construction. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, I had I had some grow lights, you know, early on. Um, the you know there's there's some things with respect to you know powering these these units and and where you locate the power sources. Um, Whole another aspect a lot of people don't get. So. Yeah. Um, but I think the one thing that I really take pride in and go back to the toolbox and, yeah. you know, Toro and, um, you know, I, I, I made the decision to fill my toolbox up with Toro equipment, Yeah, you know, and it was very close to being a one-stop shop with, with Toro. Right. And so that was really nice to be able to, you know, have nothing, and and build it out with, uh, with this company. Obviously, they're they're in the neighborhood, right? Yeah, so for sure. It, it, um, it does make it very uh, convenient. Um, the there there is probably you know one thing with respect to stadium design and architecture um, that I don't think, from what I know, I don't think. The groundsman really has a seat at the table. No, 
I it's hard too. Yeah. I'm sure when you see it, you're like, oh, you got just a little bit less, you know, like right. Um, you know, we talk about roof lines. I mean, MLS in this case has they set new parameters for you know with respect to the fan experience, but I would have. You know, my I, I enjoy working with this company. One being that um, I do have a seat at the table, mm-hmm. um, and I've been very strategic in about in, in, in nurturing that and, yes. and protecting that. Um, I would have liked to have been hired when they were in the design phase, and I, I think that's so critical because they're. And it's not, and again, it's not just like professional stadiums. There are so many times where a field is constructed and no one with the background in turf grass is ever consulted. And there's 75 things that you have to change after it's constructed that are like necessary fixes. You know, like I'm going through it with a high school back home. I just had to do a write-up for a not full field renovation, but really it needs a full field renovation. Uh we uh, were taking care of their field aerating. We broke a bunch of tines. We broke 12 tines off of 648 mm-hmm. on their infield in two passes. So we went digging. There's just boulders, not just small rocks. Like we couldn't find the edge of a rock. <laughs> and I'm like, so I wrote this long, expensive, and I keep saying, <laughs> um, sort of fix for them. And it went to our county. And they're like, you're sure this is like the bare minimum? I was like, this is below the minimum. This is what I know you will do because if I go any higher, you're not going to do it. So I think that's so critical. And again, I don't know how to do that when it comes to, again, stadium constructions. Like, how do you get in the room? But yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you with that. No, no. But that I think that's that's the really the first question to ask. And then, like I said before, life's all about identifying the problem and coming up with a solution. Well, you're halfway there. You know what the problem is, is that you don't have a seat at the table. So find a solution. Yeah. Which I'm always curious to see what that solution is going to be. But um, one of the interesting conversations at Salt Lake was uh, Dee Marie Smith with the. Uh, um, were you at the annual luncheon? No, I wasn't. At SFMA? No, I wasn't. So Dee Marie Smith is the NFL Players Association rep. And he he was bringing up all these different things that we could do. And I'm like, all right, so who's going to do it? So that's like, that's that's honestly what it is because when you're talking about sort of the livelihood of our you know members of SFMA and telling them, hey, we need to take a step back, whether it's like we're doing certain things or being a part of something, how does that lend a hand to getting that seat at the table? So yeah, something we don't need to get into, but I just am fascinated with what those next steps are. Um, you sort of got into it with your, your toolbox with Toro. Yep. You guys have a very unique setup for when it comes to the Toro company being a partner with the club. Is that correct? Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. What was that sort of process like? And again, them being sort of the hometown, you know, uh, industry, you know, I can't think of the word. Um, I guess company, I guess that's the right word, but what was that process sort of like and how has that sort of been throughout the five years of, again, the club being uh, up and running? That was a terrible question. I apologize for that. <laughs> it's a great, it's a, it's a great question, but do you, I mean, do you think, do you think we, you know, we can defer that question to Boyd and, yeah, and put yeah, him, yeah. On, him on the spot? I'm going to ask him the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I think, I think, you know, a partnership is, is always a two way. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Have, you know, our side, 
um, Toro has, has, has their interests. And um, I, I do think that from the inception and the evolution of our partnership, that it's become a very, very positive experience for both parties. <clears throat> what I will say personally, I guess I'm going on the record for that. So, uh, sorry, I can get rid of it if you need me to. <laughs> Your choice. I think that we are going to make it a better partnership than they have anywhere else. That's and, awesome. And that, that, that's my personal I think that's opinion. a great record and, thing to and have on. <laughs> for, for those people who say that it's not going to be that, I accept the challenge. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, you, the, the easy ones, you know, aspects to, to this partnership is that, that they're, they're in the neighborhood. For sure. Right? Um, but I, I don't, I don't necessarily want to speak for Toro for no, us yeah, for sure. know, and for me specifically, um, I can't, you know, I go back to my, my previous, um, work experience. Mm -hmm. I, I was, our toolbox was filled with, with, equipment over there too um so coming man how many times have i said toolbox here but coming, i love that but that's, coming, that's so cool coming over to sports turf and this metaphorical toolbox just like you know you think about um being a you know skilled labor and you have your carrying toolbox right? yeah, yeah 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 well that's like that's that's sort of my metaphor yeah. is like you know you you pick you you closed up your toolbox at your previous um employer Picked it up, brought Wanna it over bring here, it with you. and and then you open it up and you start adding tools to it. And, yeah. Um, now you, you start to realize, well, you're you know you're getting at a at a very high level. So mm -hmm. that's really for me. That's mm -hmm. that's what it was. Yeah. Nothing to do with Minnesota United, but that transition was so easy. I didn't I didn't have to learn new platforms. I didn't have to learn new controls. I hear you. And especially, I want to say this because I'm I'm out of it um we had two full-time mechanics back at my previous job yeah we don't have a mechanic here yeah so we have to wear that hat we're all familiar with toro they make it so easy um and uh and their distributor their local distributor is very uh very easy to, to you know, call up and have them service a piece of equipment that we can't uh, manage ourselves so long story short is is it's all pretty intuitive having had Toro in the toolbox before. Absolutely. Now, something that, you know, obviously comes with Toro, uh, it's something that you can count on. They do a phenomenal job. Like you're saying, it lends your hand to being your own mechanic in a way, you know, the best you can. There's there's certain levels that I've, <laughs> I'm the worst mechanic in the world and I can still do a little bit of stuff, you know. Um, what have been your sort of favorite tools in your toolbox that are Toro, you know, that have been an asset to your job here at the field? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to deep dive into this. No, no. But, but I will say something that I, like, just feel so um, so good about yeah. with respect to their product offerings and yeah, their yeah. product lines. Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't fortunate enough to dabble into the, um, uh, the RCL residential commercial landscape gotcha. uh, lot product line prior to taking this job. So you have golf and grounds, yep. you know, um, 
uh, if I'm wording that correctly. Yeah, I, yeah. And then their RCL line, and I'm like, I'm I'm going in the RCL line, going, wow. There's a like, lot of great stuff. Yeah, and and in fact, I've been talking to my golf course uh, colleagues, and like, this, did you know this piece of equipment existed? And, you know, and some blowers and stuff that you're like, wait, what? Where did <laughs> we could be using that for yeah. certain things? So it, it's not, it's not. And I, I want to be clear about this. It's not, it's not that um, you know, the salesmen that are hitting the pavement out there in the distributor uh, space uh, aren't doing their due diligence. Mm-hmm. You know, they are. It's just that us turfgrass managers get, I think, tunnel vision with respect to you know, uh, equipment options and stuff like that. So it's just like. It was, it was just great to just explore that aspect. And, and, it, and it's so cool because, again, you're looking for new things that can have an impact in your toolbox that will make it better, you know. Um, what are, again, it sort of goes with the the tools that you're using. What would you say are some of those, and again, another shift, of those cultural practices that you're focusing on with the hybrid system, with your sort of climate? Obviously, it doesn't get too hot too often up here. Um, and you have pretty harsh winters. What is sort of those cultural practices that you're focusing on to get the best product throughout uh, the start of the season to the end of the playoffs? Like, what are you focusing on? Focusing on uh, culturally speaking, yeah. Oh, OM management specifically, or you know, organic matter gotcha. management. Yep. And it's this. Um, uh, I'm going to take a stab at this. I haven't described it like this before, but. Okay. Um, you know, like a just like a, a, cu- a cup of water, yeah, and you know, like a clear glass. I mean, even a, a like a a, a measuring you know, cup or something like that. You. Just think about that. Got it. And think of the water as your your OM, right? Yep. You know, it's filling up. Well, when you when you install a hybrid system, your your success is really like determined, like based off of you know that OM. Because mm-hmm. once you, let's just say them just throwing. I got you. I got let's you. let's just say after you stitched a surface or you know you you had synthetic um your synthetic fibers were had exposure of one inch mm-hmm. um OM starts to build up now you're maybe at three quarters of an inch now you're maybe at a half of half an inch at the end of the year um and if you keep letting that go like you're not in a you're not in a terrible spot yeah if you if your exposure is at half. But if you keep letting that go, then you can get yourself in a very precarious situation mm-hmm. um, where your exposure of the artificial fibers are too small, and now you have to do something incredibly invasive. Now, a lot of people, when they dig into artificial surfaces, yeah. they're going across the pond and looking at our neighbors. Yeah, yeah. And the, the reality there, their business model is such that they have a concert season, and they they do a full, what, I, what I have termed now, full, a full renovation, renovation yeah. right? get a completely new surface outside of the artificial fibers instance of a carpet based system. Now people are have two, two carpets, one yeah. that's growing in, at a nursery and then one that they're using yeah, yeah. is across the pond now. Um, but go back to this exposure thing. So what we're trying to do now is take the business model of our friends across the pond mm-hmm. and, and tinker with it. Yeah. Um, and the first step in tinkering with it is, um, you know, we go, I'll compare irrigation scheduling, right? Gotcha. Not how, how long people are deep and infrequent, deep yeah. and infrequent. Um, same, well, so we're going to take this 
one major renovation a year model and break it down. So we're going to go less aggressive, mm-hmm. but more frequent. Gotcha. And, and we're working through that. And hopefully we provide a blueprint for, for, for some of my colleagues, not only in MLS, but other, other sports too. Um, that can be, that can be viable. But so far there's, it's been a, a you know, very successful, mm-hmm. um, and and then again, once you inject, you know, a concert, you know, or some other outside events, and now you start dealing with a whole another set of problems that you would have to challenges, address. you know, all challenges, the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but that's uh, and I'm not, I'm just, I'm not covering everything. No, 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 no. Because no. like, um, that's something so unique to the hybrid system. Yeah, we. we we, again, at a high school level, we're not going to have a hybrid system. People at collegiate levels are starting to maybe look at it in the pro level. I mean, you're seeing, like you said, three. What are some of those limitations that you've sort of seen from past, you know, experiences on golf and non-hybrid pitches? What are some of those things that sort of been maybe retracted or taken out of the toolbox because of that hybrid system? Would you say that? you wish you could do. (laughs) It's a a fantastic question. Um, Core cultivation. That's, that's major one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's, that's such an easy one to pull the trigger on. You Mm -hmm. know, if you're, you're non-hybrid and you need to have an impact on organic matter. Yeah. um, Core cultivation is, is a nice tool. Um, I think, I think that well. Let me let me go a little bit further. Yeah. Um, you know, dilution can also be another tool with respect to top dressing, right? Um, some finding finding a way to integrate um, more sand into the profile if you have high organic matter mm-hmm. and, and, and the the uh, <laughs> wait till that no. part goes by. <laughs> But another benefit of top dressing is that it, it has a leveling effect, right? Yeah. Um, we see that in all the top dressing programs and all different surfaces. So um, it, sand is still in our toolbox, but it's not the amounts that we're talking about previously. It's not the levels in which, you know, say an MLB team, every home stand is core, remove sand, right? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, we're talking dustings really yeah if, Very nice. if if we are even top dressed our we just finished our our first mini renovation um, how did it go it went really really well that's awesome and um we decided to recycle the the material so we, we worked up a lot of the organic matter out of that surface with uh, verticutting um and brushing but uh you know, we were able to separate the OM and the debris um, mm-hmm. from the, the sand and recycled the sand back in. So nice. I think that I think the I think we feel pretty good about that. Um, I think the maybe the one thing that we're taking a hard look at is how much POA do we have after this process? Gotcha. Um, you know, Long term, but then you also have to think about what what is the the long, like the lifespan of a hybrid surface. When's right? the next hybrid stitching that you right. need to do? You know, and I think these guys that are doing a lot of sodding, mm-hmm. you know, as far as their business model goes, 
they're they're probably Hey, like you're not gonna if you're sodding every year or twice. I don't even know. Some people are sodding like, four or four five, five times. times yeah, year, right? <laughs> you're not gonna chase pola. No, no, and and that's like I mean, if you want to call that a benefit to to sodding, it's a now, give and take. Yeah, but like let's just you know in the I think the you know the the cut sheet or the sales pitch on on our hybrid surface is ten years. Like, mm-hmm. Maintain it appropriately. Yeah, ten to fifteen. Well, work backward backwards from there. Yeah. And 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 if you're taking metrics on your pull-up populations, if you if you're okay, if you are okay, you know everybody wants zero pull-up. But let's just move on. From that. <laughs> let's, let's live in reality, yeah. right? <laughs> like if you're like you do, you run the the numbers, and if in year nine or ten, you know your 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 projections are such that you have a tolerable amount of pull-up, mm-hmm. maybe you maybe Say. you don't chase pull-up. Yeah, right? if it's working, why right. would you? You yeah. know, there's no reason to. Right. It's just an added cost, added, uh, I guess, factor in the sense of like what's working for you. You know, if you're if you're chasing Poa, maybe something else is going to also you know diminish with that sort of chase in a sense. If that makes sense. Yep. Um, How about human capital? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very true. <laughs> I remember uh, when I was in Pittsburgh with the Steelers, we had a. Uh, training camp site where one of the fields we completely removed and we moved Heinz field to the practice facility because the field was still in great shape at Heinz. So we moved it to the training camp site, but the second field, it was, there was a lot of POA. We took, it had to be like 1400, uh, hex plugs from that field. So like, I understand what you're saying, (laughs) but, um, what type of turf are you growing? Just to be sure, like again, I I can make assumptions and stuff. But what are you f- sort of focusing on when you're growing? Um, we are Kentucky. Started with 100% Kentucky bluegrass. Gotcha. That was what we were sodded as, um, and then and then we stitched. Um, so we stitched a year ago. Gotcha. Last year I was overseeding with perennial ryegrass. Mm-hmm. Um, although no one could tell. This spring, um, anyone who was not a turfer, yeah, um, I wasn't happy about the, the performance, the overwintering of the perennial ryegrass. Gotcha. Like, wow, surprise, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, perennial ryegrass is is not going to, you know, sensitive. Yeah, it's, it's sensitive. <laughs> so, but I thought we we had we had an edge on it because we we have field heat, yeah, grow covers, yeah. yeah. Um, but I wasn't I wasn't super happy about that. Gotcha. So, okay, here's a problem. Here's a solution, right? Um, I've pivoted from perennial ryegrass, and we are overseeding a broadcast overseed with Kentucky bluegrass. Gotcha. And we are spike seeding roughly the same time. They like that. That's the stuff that you don't think about, you know, and – you probably brought that over from golf. Am I wrong saying that? Not wrong. <laughs> so, like, those are the things that, like, because you're talking about the overwintering, there's not going to be a problem with that with the fine fescue. Like, that's so, you know, intuitive and thought-provoking when it comes to, like, completely, like, blowing everyone's mind. It's like, wait, what? You know, like, that's not something that's standard practice. So I think that's incredible, you know, and that's that's just awesome to have in the toolbox, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, uh, if we if we do a podcast again, write this one down. I'll maybe report back on my findings. Okay. 
We'll do. We'll do. We'll do. We'll do it in a couple of years or in a year. We'll we'll do one right now. Um, this time of year after the winter. Um, how is the bluegrass perform with the hybrid decision? Because a lot of the hybrid that you again you're talking with over the pond, you have ryegrass, 100% ryegrass. How is it? And you talk about organic matter and managing that. How has it been sort of seeing this first year with the hybrid and the bluegrass? How has it done when it comes to performance and your small renovation when it came to recovery and all that? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm gonna speculate here, but there it's not it's it's an educated speculation. Always. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Word. I love it. Um, <laughs> The Kentucky blue gra- blue grass is going to produce more ryegrass. We have seen that over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is my belief that tweaking the model that's over in Europe yeah. to a less aggressive but more frequent renovation strategy, yeah. I think that's going to play very well with the Kentucky bluegrass. And I think that's really cool because that's something that you don't see people pushing the envelope on, you know, and I bring up Dr. Rogers and Dr. Sorokin with the FIFA stuff. I think that's one of the big things they're looking at is what you have going on here for those indoor venues, you know, how is it going to perform? How is it going to hold up? Because obviously with foot traffic, bluegrass is way better than ryegrass, but at the same time, like you have to balance and what you've been able to accomplish has really shown what we can do, you know, and that's something that'll be really, you know, important moving forward because hybrid pitches are the future. And I know people are nervous about it. People are concerned about it. It's just from what I've seen, the conversations I've had with Dr. Rogers, Dr. Sorokin, um, even guys like Nick Pappas and whatnot, there's just so many things about it that we, and you obviously are the forefront are seeing the benefits of, what has it been like sort of being that, again, pioneer in our industry to figure out how that's going to work for you and your field? Yeah, I, I guess it's just, I don't think much more of it than just gotcha. being a just matter of fact. Like, yeah. I don't even, I, I don't think that I'm I'm pioneering anything per se. It's just like I have such a, a passion to develop a blueprint. Yeah. If another colleague you know, wants to, wants to wait in the shallow and, you know, with us, you know what I mean? Like yeah. instead of jumping off the, some people might think like going hybrid <laughs> is jumping off the deep. No, end. I got you. But after you, I said this earlier, once you get 90% there, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you're really, you're really going into the pool in the shallow end, yeah, again, yeah. you know, and um, going slow with it and strategic, but um, it's really just like, again, intellectual stimulation yeah, not yeah. to go like full circle, but it's, it's this, it's like this identifying the problem mm-hmm. and then like I, I see your soundboard over there. Yeah, and, yeah. And I can this is like I have analogies up there. Yeah, yeah. But like all these like these these buttons and, and these toggles that you have to yeah. to adjust sound, to adjust the treble, the bass, whatever, and you can fill yeah. in blank. But like that's what we're doing. And that's what gives me the intellectual stimulation is is adjusting those knobs mm-hmm. so that, like your objective is to have the best sound quality, right? absolutely. And and you're and not when when you go to another 
um, do another podcast, set up the microphones. You might be in a different room. Yeah. Those, those, those toggles probably don't look exactly the same. You're exactly right. And that's, and that's, that's what it's about. Now, I love that. Very, being very specific with this hybrid thing is like, wow, we get a chance to really kind of like figure this out instead of a copy and paste. Yeah. And that, that's what I, I think is having a lot of appreciation for, for being in that position yeah. of figuring it out. For sure. That's, and that's so awesome, you know, cause that's, that's how you change the game. I mean, honestly, and it's, that's, this is what I love about these conversations because no one's ever said anything, you know, you know, stimulating intelligence when it comes to a person like you don't look at it that way when you're again you're obviously looking that way when people are in that space they don't really see it that way but by provoking thoughts and everything that goes into it like you're making this job so much better for your guys and so much better for the people that uh, you're working for having them be a part of the process understanding why we're doing certain things the way that you're doing it's just it's incredible and that's where you know, one of your assistants moves on and he takes that to the next site. You know, that's what's so cool. And again, like you said, like not seeing yourself as a mentor, but in that way that you're being the best mentor humanly possible with that because people don't look at it like that. They say, I am the leader. This is how it's going to happen. And really it doesn't lend a hand to developing that next generation developing the next group. You know, what you're doing here is going to change the MLS moving forward in ways that we don't understand because like you were saying, Tanner coming from all the different places that he has, he was able to take away from, you know, um, Apple feller. I don't know. So like, I apologize, but all those guys that he learned under and he's had, I, from what I've followed, he's had a very crazy season at, at uh, is it Colorado Rapids? Is that mm-hmm. right? He's had a crazy season when it comes to the start and everything going into it, and he's done a phenomenal job. And that's come from the people that he has worked with and understood and was stimulated intelligently based off of what you're doing. So, like, that's something that's so cool, and I can't thank you enough for that because that's what goes back to my kids, and you're just like, wow, that makes sense. Like, this is stuff you go – I always go back to the – Mr. Miller, I'm not going to math class. I'm not going to ever use it again. <laughs> like yeah. what you're doing is pretty much what I try to get them to understand is like everything you're doing in all those classes is relevant to this industry. You just don't see it. And with the math, the English, you know, all the different things that you, you obviously thought the same thing when we were children. You're like, oh, God, I'm going to math again. Here we go. Calculus. I will say you have nothing to do with anything <laughs> yeah. unless you're an engineer or something, but being able to show that the work you're doing matters and the work that you've done developing all of these different practices and everything is just truly incredible. So I can't thank you enough for that. Um, something that I always like to talk about because it's important to my students and the people out there to hear is what has been sort of your driving force, you know, your uh, motivation. Obviously, when it comes to having something new, figuring it out, trying to be uh, ahead of the game when it comes to being able to have a hybrid pitch or other things like that. What motivates you to come work every single day? Obviously coming back from Alaska and everything coming in today, which again, I wouldn't have been able to do. What motivates you to do that? You know, like what is it that drives you? Um, when you don't have other any other data points, 
it is kind of tough to answer that question. And it's not to say I don't have any other data points. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I will say, if you're passionate about something, don't know anything else, you just do it because you like it or love it. Yeah. AKA you're passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I worked in corporate America for just a short period of time. Mm Mm-hmm. My dad said he wasn't going to pay for me for college unless I I went to business school. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to get an internship somewhere. I got an internship at my freshman, sophomore, and part of my junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. Long story short, it was one data point for me that I knew that I didn't care for. Mm-hmm. And nothing to do with the company. Yeah. Just when that alarm clock goes off, every or essentially every day, are you happy? And the alarm clock goes off today, yesterday, tomorrow. I can say one hundred percent that I'm happy, and I, and that that's it makes me feel happy to be able to say that. Yeah. But it also pulls at the heartstrings a little bit because I know that. There are people in this world that aren't having the same experience. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be on this side of the fence. Absolutely. And that that means so much to, again, a young kid who's just trying to figure out this crazy world that we live in. You know, it's it's hard to, you know, take that step into something that's new and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's coming your way. Um so truly that means more than you will ever know, you know, to so many people that are listening. And it's, it's something that I, again, even myself, people like, why are you a teacher? <laughs> it's like, you're crazy. Like kids are insane. They're doing like TikTok and all the absurd stuff that everybody's like, but being able to, you know, understand that kids struggle and kids are misrepresented by different groups, whether that's parents, teachers, or whoever, being able to, you know, show my kids that this is something that you can be happy about. You can enjoy your life. You know, it's something that, uh, mine was rooted in sports. You know, I just want to stay in sports when I started and I was in a similar situation. My dad said, you're going here for baseball. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going cause I can't afford college, you know? So, um, I was lucky enough to be able to transfer for turf, but it was my way of staying in sports and being able to teach what just, you know, like 1% of what you guys do, <laughs> but be able to teach, um, and, you know, manage my fields. Like that's something that I would never give up, you know, it's just, and that's incredible to hear. I think, I think one thing that I'd add to that, um, Kids and growth and, and understanding where, where their passion might lie is um, really helping them to believe that they are in control of their decisions mm-hmm. and that um, you know they, they might naturally look for someone to like make the decision for them. Yeah, but I think that that, in my opinion, would be a disservice. What I'm trying to get at is. Um, if if one has and believes that they have control of their decisions, one, they're more empowered 
but two, if they find themselves in an unfavorable position, mm -hmm. just knowing that you have the control to make a decision to get out of that mm -hmm. is is an incredible feeling. Yeah. It absolutely is, you know? And I, I honestly don't think it just it just kids, but no, very, for sure, like the, the, they're obviously very, very important because they're you know, going to be running the country. But um, <laughs> making major, major decisions, yeah. Right. But 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 it, it applies to all of us, I think, as far as you know, not um, when that alarm clock goes off. If you mm -hmm. ever if you find yourself you know, not happy, and I I think I've, I've, I know I've said this, yeah. to other uh, staff members. If if you're not happy when the alarm clock goes off, let's figure it out. Yeah, yeah, and and just know that you have the power to change that. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's huge for again someone who is in a position of you know being a boss and being in charge. And it sounds like again you don't approach it like that, obviously, but having someone advocate for you to realize that that's a real thing. Like you can say no if you need to. Like this isn't about what's supposed to happen. It's about what you need to happen so that a your mental health is in a good place b you're happy in general you know you're making strides in your life that you want to make you know um so and i think that's so critical you know to just everything and uh it's funny Have you ever seen the show ted lasso yep that's it's literally everything about this is just it's one of my favorite shows everything yeah. that he does is just perfect the way he you know hits the nail on the head every single time he talks. It's like, wait a second. Very well written. Like, what? <laughs> it's like, we're, we're three seasons in and we don't know how you keep doing it. So, no, it's definitely something that I love about it. Um, I do want to talk about Alaska a little bit, a little off topic. Obviously, the pressures and the time and the energy that goes into this job, being able to get away, what was that like again? And how was the trip? I do want to get into that a little bit. Yeah. Well, the trip was amazing. And I don't even know if I, because I haven't totally. It hasn't processed yet. Yeah. No, I got you. Yeah. But I was, I think I was saying earlier, it, it's just, it, there's so much, there's so much, so much in, in this area of our country, I guess I can say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but, it is but, part of this one. Yeah. yeah right. And, um, but, um, yeah, there's just so much nature up there. Um, really, really uh, good experience. I uh, this is the first time I've taken a a trip um, in June. That's awesome. In my entire career. That's incredible. Um, now, there's some specifics that played a role into that, and yeah, it's yeah. not. I, I'm not. I'm not the kind of guy who's like, no, I'm a I'm a, <laughs> I'm a grounds manager. I'm a sports surf manager. I, I cannot take trips in the summer. Blah, no, blah. I got you. No, um, but. We just we happened to have a, a break. Um, we had a match in early June. We scheduled our mini renovation. That uh, was on a Saturday. We scheduled our mini renovation starting on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Went three or four days. We wrapped that up, cleaned it all up, and then I started my vacation. And we don't have another home match or outside event until the twenty. That's incredible. So it was. It I don't was think just, that's possible. Yeah, but that's right? incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you were probably like. Do I book it? Is there something? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, like, my wife and I were talking about this on the trip. Like, you know, I talked about the schedule. Yeah. Do, does does that really matter? Does that really matter? And I'm, I'm kind of speaking to all the listeners out there, too, is does that really matter? Do you, do, you, do you allow that to dictate 
at, you know, your, yeah. your, your, your personal schedule with your loved ones, you know, and I, I would hope that the answer is no, you know, that you have built up your team in a fashion that, that allows you to be nimble and flexible and not allow schedule to dictate. So that's my little, little bit on that. hundred percent. And that's, and that's, again, it lends to the leadership and what you've developed here. Cause it's, it's hard for a lot of guys to just let go. You know, there's, you have your micromanagers, you have your people that are like, I need to be in the building at all times. I trust my staff, but I need to be in the building. Like it's, it's hard to let go. So again, more power to the people that are listening to hear about that. Cause that's something that they do need to hear. You know, it's, it's, I think the word that, that a lot of us use is chaos, you know, organized chaos, I should say, but like being able to take a step back away from it all, it's so necessary, you know, and so needed, but, um, that's incredible. Uh, anything fun about Alaska you want to share that maybe people will be like, you know what? I want to go up there too. Um, Glacier Bay. Uh, I mean the glaciers, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Experiencing those things um mm-hmm. was incredible and then the, just the other thing about Alaska, which was where I got yeah just like the raw nature yeah yeah it just it, it's there's not a lot of places in the world where you can go where it's just you know, yeah Bushwhackers, an area that has never been walked yeah. on before. Yeah, yeah. Or perhaps it, it might have been walked on, but it might have been people thousands of years, thousands ago. of years ago. Yeah, that's that's so cool. And we could get into that forever, yeah. but <laughs> um, I do wrap it up on uh, something for my kids. You know, it's something that I I think is so critical for them to hear. Is like you know for you, what would be your best words of advice for them? You know, taking that first step, maybe something that you wish you knew when you first started in this industry, uh, before getting into golf, getting into sports fields, what is one thing that would help them understand sort of those first steps into the industry, you know, and making those connections and understanding that this is what you're sort of getting into when it comes to sports field management and turf grass management as a whole. Yeah. Um, that's a, a really, really good question. I think that with respect to your kids, mm-hmm. know that the information that you have collected, studied, maybe spent some time researching, um, that from a knowledge standpoint, you are the expert in the room. Don't let anyone tell you different. Yes, you're going to need experience to evolve, but you are the smartest person in the room. I love that. You know, making, and it's honestly, what's hard is like not understanding, like at that young of an age, there are so many things that you decide that have such a large impact on the future and where you're going. So uh, that's incredible. Um, I mean, us, yeah. us, us old guys. Can say that because I, whatnot. But you're um, not old. It's fine. Um, 
us old guys is probably we've probably forgotten over half of what we learned in school. I would agree with that, you know? and I'm still in it. <laughs> so so that, that that's why I, I reiterate the mm-hmm. fact, like it, it's, it's a little bit metaphorical in a mm-hmm. way, but yeah, also yeah. very true and real because they're in it. They they are they are studying the information. it's all around them right yeah for sure it's fresh so um you know they they for sure without a doubt if if one of your students came in the room right now i would argue that they are probably the smartest kid in the room or person in the room for sure yeah well i can't thank you enough for letting us come today and see this incredible facility and everything so um i'm excited about the week uh anything you're excited about for the week um well this toro leadership academy right that's um, you and I kind of joked about it. Mm-hmm. There's an extensive itinerary. So, <laughs> so I can pull that out yeah, real quick. <laughs> yeah. So no, I'm looking forward to interacting with colleagues that are there. I'm also um, really looking forward to, you know, this whole, we're in the age of social media, right? I'm yeah. talking to a person who's doing podcasts right now. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, what, what's great about it, though, is that um, you know, you're a conduit um, to share some of this information that we um, experience this week with Toro. Absolutely. Super excited. So thank you again for taking the time. Really appreciate it. The Toro company is known for innovation. For example, the RealMaster 5010H improves performance and productivity. The industry's first and only real mower with a true hybrid drive system. Save up to 20% on fuel use while also lowering costs and lowering the vehicle's carbon imprint. Visit Toro's website today to learn more about this revolutionary mower and discover the power of sustainable and efficient grounds maintenance.